from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. This is Michelle. And this is Mark. Michelle sounds really low-key because she's hungover. <laughs> oh, Indeed, I am. I think I lost track at five or something. I could but have I sworn you were drinking sodas last night. <laughs> they were, It was soda with vodka. <laughs> she has a chai-flavored vodka in her tiny house. Ooh. I opened it up and smelled it. I was like, chai-flavored vodka? It is lovely over, over ice. Huh. And you um, add vanilla creamer, and it's sort of like a chai Russian. <laughs> you know, chai is Indian, and so an Indian Russian. Indian Russian. <laughs> a Russian Indian. That, that's, that's not working. But. Uh, that's interesting, because um, Perry came to visit my tiny house last night for the first time, it so was that beautiful. was fun. Um, but it's funny you, inter- you mentioned my bar, because everybody talks about the bar. Yeah. It's a tiny <laughs> bar. There's like three bottles there. Probably all her favorites. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. But anyway, it was a beautiful house, and I was surprised you got hungover because I didn't see you drinking much. Oh, thank, thank goodness that, that woman who was there wasn't drinking because she was a waif. She would have been on the floor uh, after I a know, shot. yeah, yeah, yeah. For a neighbor also had requested to come over and and uh, take a tour of my tiny house. She's uh, She has been sort of a tiny house fan since 2007. Wow. So she's just now really starting to get serious about building her own community. So as you saw, she had a ton of questions mm-hmm. about all the moving parts and pieces and the drainage and the toilet and the permits and how to move them. And it was a fun. It was fun. It was really great. Very cool. I promise I, I'll wake up. I'm going to finish oh, my yeah. uh, coffee yeah. here. I promise I'll wake up. For the first time ever, I stuck my head in a composting toilet. Yes. Yesterday. and, and <laughs> But it you... won't be the last, I bet. <laughs> it smelled really good, actually. <laughs> it, did. it did. See, I, I mean, I specifically took them both into the bathroom, opened up the hatches, and said, what do you smell? And uh, your reaction was? Peaty moss. Exactly. It smells like It's kind of sweet, actually. And chai tea? (laughs) And chai (laughs) tea. With a hint of vodka. No, actually, <laughs> no, with a hint of grape soda. Oh, that's right, the grape soda. <laughs> so the inside joke or inside tip, um, if you have a toilet that actually separates your liquids from your solids and you put two cups of uh, grape soda in your liquid waste container, it keeps the smell down and it kills off the bacteria. And as again, Perry can attest, you can't smell it at all. Yeah, it was really cool. And really cool because I'm thinking of buying one of those toilets for the tiny house space that I'm building in our garage. And so... So that was research. No it plumbing research, required. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's that little... No, no, right. No plumbing. There's that little tube you got to connect right. to the outside. Right. Yeah. That's the that. venting tube. Of course, it, it uh, pulls all the smells yeah. and the moisture and everything yeah. out. So, Ben, what do you know about composting toilets? I've got quite a bit of experience with composting what? toilets. Woo! No uh, way. Yeah. In the uh, in our office, the 1950s rail cars, uh, I when I first took them on as our, our office space as a tenant, there were two composting toilets and um, one in 
three total cars and, and, uh, you know, one in, in two of them. And so they were an interesting experience. I had my head in those composting toilets more than I would have liked. Um, <laughs> it was very much a, uh, low key lease. And, uh, and so I was responsible for a lot of stuff. So I had to figure out the whole world of composting toilets. And I think we did a pretty good job of, um, overtaxing them. <laughs> <laughs> so in the, in the last so year office job of doing the empty yeah I, I value my employees such that i i took on that task <laughs> uh, i'm impressed i want to go work for you yeah i didn't i my concern was that if i put that on them uh, they might not show up the next day so that was me <laughs> and they got a lot of good laughs out of me uh, with my um, blue rubber gloves <laughs> trying to solve these problems uh, but i actually bought these rail cars in the last year and went through some major Innovations, and now we have essentially a nautical toilet that, oh, yeah. that drops down into a tank uh, on the tracks. Nice. And then we have the the good people from uh, Schultz um, Waste Management, the the Schultzy folks, come out and empty that periodically. Very cool. That seems to work better for us. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I swear someday I'm actually going to make a video of me and all dressed up in stilettos and the whole nine yards emptying my composting toilet. Nice. I think that would be pretty funny. <laughs> Just to show people that it's not really as bad as no. the, the the blue gloves was a little overkill, I gotta tell you. Yeah. But uh but yeah, just to show people, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, now, it would be if you had to do it for an office of people every yeah. day or something yeah. like that. And I think there's probably a lot of pilot error there. So I wish I would have benefited <laughs> oh, from your you video <laughs> on uh, best practices for extracting. What goes in must come out. Uh, there you go. Something <laughs> like that. So without further uh, going into the show, let's let's introduce who this guy is who's talking with exactly. us. So who Ben McKinley uh, is the owner of Cascade Web Development correct? Cascade Web Development. And there are these rail cars in Portland um, near the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. And the new, uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's basically a museum for locomotives. I don't know what it's called, but oh, yeah, yeah. it's over the, there too. Yeah. And um, I've, yeah, yeah. I've been riding by those rail cars probably for five years or more, maybe um, on my bike, riding down the Springwater Corridor, just, uh, just doing some exercise. And Mark had discovered an article about these rail cars being purchased and owned by your organization, Ben, and um, also uh, Ecos. Is that how you say that? Echos, Ecos, Ecos, Echos Communication, and Foghorn Labs also has office space there. And Ben um, was renting the cars for some years and then ended up purchasing them. Can you tell us how much you bought them for? Yeah, sure. Um, so all three of them were purchased for uh, the round number of a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, that's a great price. And can you do you know the history of these things? Yes. Um, well, I do know. Uh, prior to my uh, taking them on, I did the similar thing that you is that I actually had office space on Twelfth and Division at the Ford Building for three years, and would always ride my bike by these trains. Um, uh, an adjacent one was for sale, so through a friend, got access to these three just to sort of due diligence. What's this look like? Is it as cool as I think it looks? And in that conversation, the owner of those three rail cars said, hey, why don't you lease one of mine? Um, uh, this gentleman had owned uh, all three of these for about eight years, and he had he owns a half dozen um, sales or uh, car lots around the Northwest, <laughs> and kind of an eccentric dude, bought them at an auction, um, revamped them for office space. I believe they may have been used previous to that for restaurants because I've had a lot of people show up and say, hey, these used oh, yeah. to be a restaurant in wow. McAdam or somewhere. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in St. John's mm -hmm. or John's Landing, I think, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I believe that's where they may have come from. He got them, you know, he 
had too much to drink one night at an auction and wrote something <laughs> down and said, there's no, there's no effing way I'm going to get these and end up getting them. So he, he revamped Damn, them. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. So his was kind of pimped out, Hugh Hefner style, really nice and, and era appropriate and, and very, uh, very dialed. The other two were used for... On uh, his accounting, or excuse me, advertising department and marketing department, and then they vacated and went back to boring old um, regular office mm. space. So they were sitting vacant, and um, and that's when we connected. And he's like, "Man, I'm trying to get retired and move away. And so if you'd squat here and help with the other squatters not squatting here, and keep an eye on things, and and um, and that began our relationship together." And then as Cascade grew, and then we started another company, Brand Live, which occupied one and then two cars. And then when they moved out, um, that's kind of when the whole purchase thing happened and when Foghorn and Echoes moved in. Who got the pimped out one? That one was actually the interesting thing is so I bought all three and then my neighbor to the north who owns the the one that I referenced earlier, he had purchased it the year before. He ended up buying that one. And he uh, that's Birdsmouth Construction and they do a lot of really cool like net zero construction, mm, huh. um, really fun projects. And um, and so he ended up getting that and by his standards it was it was it needed to be gutted. So um, <laughs> oh, wow. you know, what was what was the <laughs> nicest of all three um, got gutted and we essentially gutted ours and now we upgraded all of them. And oh, I think wow. to say it was the nicest of the three is to suggest how low the other two were, <laughs> <laughs> that, we were that we were operating out of for five years and uh, as I said, we went through some major renovations ourselves, and now I look back on it, and it's like, we really worked out of those conditions for five years? But wow. So what's the square footage of these these cars? 850 square feet of pop. Each one. And mm-hmm. so what what are the dimensions? How wide are they? About, um, what is that? I think it's about n- uh, nine feet by, nine, nine plus feet by 85 feet, or right around 10, yeah, 10 by 85. Okay. So a little hmm. bit larger than a tiny oh, house in width. And a lot larger and than a, a container. Yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah. larger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a couple yeah. containers. Yeah. How tall are they inside? You know, right as you walk in, there's a drop ceiling because the old air conditioning unit condenser and whatnot's up there. So it's literally, I mean, I'm I'm six four and it's it's probably six seven, six eight. Mm. Um, so that gets some interesting comments. But once you walk through that initial space, then it then it's you know much taller, and I would say eight feet tall. It's oh, wow. It, it feels very nice. And in the box car, which is the one that Echoes and Foghorn use, and where our conference room is, that one doesn't have any drop ceiling, and so it feels much larger. And it doesn't have the luggage racks that come in at about six feet um, so again it feels much less obstructed than than ours hmm. but ours has windows wall to wall and uh, lots of natural light so it you know it's amazing people come in like oh there's a lot more room than you thought we were talking last night actually about uh, window placement mm-hmm. and you know the the movement of air and the movement of light and the movement of people and how you can even take a, a very narrow very long space and design it in a way that doesn't make people feel like they're walking down a hallway. Now, or I'm sure there's there's some of that, um, but um, yeah, the the more windows and the more light that you that you allow, and the higher ceilings too, mm-hmm. that probably mm-hmm. makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got standing desks that are essentially on one side of the rail car, and uh, and they're kind of lower profile, so that helps, you know, in terms of through vision doesn't feel all walled off and you know we don't have like cube land partitions so that helps and um and yeah in our rail car we've got you know windows that are that are you know both sides so it feels good i mean you could have a killer nerf football game in there (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny you mentioned that because the 
I looked at the other companies and your, is your company based in San Francisco? Mm-mm. It's here. Yeah. Okay. Echoes is based out of San oh, yeah, Francisco. Yeah. The other one is too, isn't it? Aren't... They, they were founded in okay. San, San Francisco and then uh, the, the founder, Adam, is a Portland guy and he oh. moved back up here and, uh, and had rented space for us for a period of time prior to the expansion into the other rail cars. And then when we did that, you know, they, they popped over there and and have grown as well. So it, it this takes me back to the days of uh, what was that advertising come that advertising show um, with the dark haired guy and the red headed guy. They were advertising oh, thirty something. Thirty something takes mm-hmm. me back to the days of thirty something and all this. You're talking about Nerf football and and the artsy fartsy kind of super creative uh, air that that is reputed to be um, in advertising and marketing and web mm-hmm. de- now web development. Was choosing a rail car as your office space part of that? let's be cool thing or did you why why did you why yeah did you pick no that's a great question so prior to so i guess going back i we worked out of home offices for the first six or six or eight years of cascades uh, existence and then as we got um more employees and wanted to create more of a, a sense of culture we moved into the ford building which was you know an old ford uh, manufacturing plant on 12th and division and it's the typical tall ceilings, exposed brick walls, 14-foot windows. It was great. And we had a lot of other creative partners that were just down the hall. Mm-hmm. But then as that lease came up for renewal, the owner was like, oh, we're going to jack prices. I'm like, really? And, <laughs> and so then the question, I saw these rail cars. I'm like, this looks cool. And it's not um, – it, it, there's certainly we were on an island, and at that point, the Rail Car Heritage Museum, which I think is the the that's actual name, that's what it is. Yep. Yeah, uh, that's where we were situated. And this was before the Tillicum Crossing. It was a wasteland, mm. and and for the first five years, it was a total wasteland construction zone. Um, but now, you know, things are are more upgraded, and and it feels like the services are coming in, and it's it's a hot it's a hot piece of town. So I feel good about that. But that was the risk we took. Do we find ourselves in another creative, you know, office environment where everyone's right there? Or do we try something new that's, that's unique, that's very inexpensive. Um, and that hopefully will, you know, draw some, some positive attention for its uniqueness. Um, but then have, you know, hopefully a lot more interesting story to tell than we're just, you know, cool and hip. Because mm-hmm. I don't think we're that cool and hip. <laughs> <laughs> your tattoos would tell a different story. <laughs> Especially that thing. Is that ringworm on your hand? Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's another story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually a night with a little bit too much alcohol. <laughs> and uh, it was a birthday night as well. I have so. a piercing story. Oh, oh no. Accidental. Yeah. In Orlando, Florida. Yeah, one of those stories as well. So, um, I always tell people that the best conversations I've probably ever had in my entire life take place in my tiny house or in my tiny space. Um, you talked about sort of doing something cool and something hip, um, but do you actually, I mean, have you noticed a difference in in the conversation or the vulnerability or whatever you want to call it between you and your employees, your employees, your clients at all? Um, you know, walking into a normal office building, hey, how's it going? Start your meeting, do your thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. This gives you like that built-in bridge conversation. Oh, and so um, do you experience that same level of sort of connection just um, by being in that small space? Oh, yeah. And I, I think prior to, and I think where you're going is, is it because it's smaller and more intimate that that happens? As well both, as it's so unique. Bo- both uniqueness mm-hmm. and smallness and, and everybody's like, Wow, like again, they want to hear your story. And yeah. I think when we when we tell each other our stories, we actually 
form a better bond. And in business, there's really nothing better than that. Right. So, uh, no, so it's a, you don't even have to try, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think absolutely people come in and they're just like, wow. Uh, it's been great for recruiting and uh, retention of, of staff. I mean, people that have approached me, like literally out in the gravel parking lot, like, I saw you have a job opening. I needed to come down here and shake your hand. This is so awesome. Um, you're like, wow, that that's great because <laughs> I'm paying a whole lot less than everybody else in town to be in this office. Uh, the pragmatic side, right? But yeah, when clients show up or prospects show up, they're blown away and they, they have all these questions. And so we get to laugh and, you know, try and position it in a really fun, authentic way. And, and then when it's like, okay, let's get down to business. We are, you know, we're actually here to talk about your, you know, your marketing needs, your operational needs. Uh, it's, it's absolutely a, a really nice way to start that conversation. And, and it is something that, you know, there's a lot of competition in what we do and, and yeah. differentiating yourself, even though our office space has very little to do with the quality of our code and the, the you know, the sharpness of our ability to create strong web strategies that are going to solve people's problems. But it's, it's just one of those things like, well, checking boxes, that's a pretty cool one to check. And, uh, and it's also been great with Echoes and Foghorn. I mean, especially with the renovation, they're thrilled. Their clients are thrilled. There's just, yeah, there's a lot of positive, positive energy around that. Um, so I think you're absolutely right in that notion of, of being able to connect with folks. I mean, prior to the, the renovation, our office or our conference room, I dubbed it as the smallest conference room in Portland. Uh, it wasn't really much bigger than this. And, um, and so, you know, it was, it was close quarters. And so sometimes when you had a big groups you're meeting with, it's like, well, maybe we should meet at your office. <laughs> um, other times you kind of cram in there and make the most of it. And, and, and there's that, you know, that level of forced intimacy as well. Very cool. Right. So, um, as you may or may not know, um, or unless you've been reading the paper this week, of course, um, one of the challenges for tiny house people specifically is where to put their tiny house. Yep, yep. Now, with a rail car, obviously, you're going to have to put it on rails. So, but can you talk? Are there any challenges or permitting? I know they were they were already parked there. Mm -hmm. So, talk about the challenges. Did you have any challenges associated with? Hey, we want to we want to use this full time as opposed to a storage unit, or any conversations along those lines. You know, um, some of that stuff is um, was already sort of grandfathered in. Right. You know, conversations were had. You've, I mean, ultimately the land is owned by TriMet. There's a lease that is a very long term, very fluid, or I wouldn't say fluid, but very open ended lease with the um, the owner of the tracks. Can you say what that is? What the lease terms are? I don't, I don't, even, oh, know. don't even know. I just know that the owner of, of the tracks is like, look, I, you know, this is my business and, and I can kind of do what I need to do in this environment. It's almost like Disneyland, where it's like within the continental United States, but they just sort of follow their own rules. Huh. <laughs> and so when I went through the purchase process, Coding you can. rules do not apply to Disneyland. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so when we were um, going through the process of purchasing them, you know, you can imagine my attorney had a serious pause about this. Like, you know, it's my job. Like, did you check? It? And th I mean, the chances of a bureaucrat showing up someday and saying, uh -uh, there's a problem here and you're in violation, that exists. Right. Yeah. But on the other hand, with all the issues we have with homeless and camps and all yeah. sorts of other things popping up, it's like, look, man, I'm creating jobs here. I'm trying to run a business. Right. You know, do you really, uh, I'm trying to be a good neighbor. Don't you have better things <laughs> yeah, to do? Yeah, exactly. So, give me shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, I certainly don't need this to ever be put back on me and, and someone, uh, you know, I think if someone had a beef, there's probably some, somewhere in there that there's a, a policy against it. 
Um, but a lot of that stuff was grandfathered. The person that owns the tracks owns them for, you know, has very fluid rights. And when they moved us from our the previous location down, PGE ran, electrical, Comcast, piped in, you know, internet. Uh, a lot of these services were plugged in. And I think it's one of those things as part of being in a, in a cool city like Portland where it's like, why no not? one's yeah, no one's Don't getting hurt here. This yeah. is great. They're doing something fun and unique, and this is a fun story to tell. Let's shine a light on it and and um, you know celebrate this instead of of creating problems around it. The ultimate hipster office for well, pretty think, ultimate. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty ultimate. Are, are are they able to roll, or did you have to secure them? Uh, they rolled from their previous spot a quarter mile, and you know that was the easiest office move of all time. <laughs> you know, you have to pack boxes. No, we just <laughs> basically we laid our our monitors down on the floor, and the the emergency Push. the emergency that day was interestingly enough there was a fundraiser the Boy Scouts had that had me rappelling off the big pink building which was awesome and horrifying. Um, so that day I did that in the morning and then they, they hooked up the rail cars on this old, this old engine and pulled them down. Yeah. And then they rehooked everything up for electricity. And the only issue was that the rail car that the beer fridge was in, uh, mm-hmm. that one, the electricity didn't work. So we had to transfer all the beer over to the other fridge. Um, relatively minor issue, took care of that and away we went. Wow. Uh, now to that's a Portland that problem. That yeah. is a Portland problem. That cold beer. Yeah, you don't want it to get cold and warm and cold. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, no. um, but I think to answer your question, it's not rail certified. That's an extremely costly endeavor. If uh, because there is there are um, there's the opportunity. There's a subculture around people that own rail cars and essentially have turned them into very glamorous RVs. What? And you can call up Amtrak and for like a buck twenty five a mile or whatever mm-hmm. it is today, they'll haul you anywhere you want to go. Oh my god! So you cruise down to the to the Union Station, you'll see these just luxury, you know, old school, and they've got the double deckers. I mean, beautiful rail cars hooked up to Amtrak. And they're just hauling them around, dropping them off in a sidetrack and whitefish, dropping them off in a sidetrack and wherever. And and some of these guys with with the the um, boxcar doors, yeah, they'll have Harleys in there. They'll have smart cars in there and ramp systems and ramp down and then kind of rally around. So that I looked at long term, like, oh, that'd be the shit. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. I'm not an RV guy, right. but that yeah. that would be next level. This and box car that's got all the graffiti on the side of it. Yeah. It's like a regular box car until you open up those two doors and kind of kind of like the new frontier houses with the oh yeah 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 you're like whole that's yeah my imagination is that would be awesome but it's a couple hundred thousand dollars to play that game and get rail certified so i probably won't be playing that game but um but at this point you know they're old and they probably shouldn't get moved too far yeah on their wheels Hmm. Very cool. I, I like the idea of thinking there's all these side tracks out there that people can find to park them. That mm-hmm. just isn't anything I would have thought of before. Right? There's a lot. There's a lot. There of is a lot. Useless knowledge I have about, about <laughs> rail yards. And rail well, the, the trestle, for instance, the trestle, as you know, in Sherwood actually just burned down. I'm not um, familiar with that. Are you? Oh, it was a huge new strength. <laughs> So we have a very, very like a hundred year old train trestle that goes through the middle of town, beautiful Mm -hmm. section of town. And um, it 
burned down to the ground and so now we have these tracks coming into town that no longer connect and so mm. there's been a lot of discussion in our town recently about what to do with the parking spaces huh. and what mm. to do with the rail should they you know tear them out or lease them for storage of rail cars or whatever so hmm. well but there is a major problem because what's happening now is increasingly they're stripping out these old rails and using that land for other uses bike paths and mm-hmm. well not only rails to trails but also the notion of just like an industrial northeast or northwest portland Right, just like oh, well, yeah. we could build something on that, or yeah. that could be parking or a road mm-hmm. or something. So it's not something where if my current location, um, you know, if the if the owner of it said, "Hey, lease is up, pound sand," you got to figure out some other place for this. It's not like, oh, great, there's 18 other spots in the city, right? Especially as as prime as ours, right? I mean, we're right mm-hmm. across from Momsy. We've yeah. got a view of the tram yeah. and Tillicum Crossing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is one of those pitfalls. Much like with the tiny houses, I think is like, oh, there's so much glamour and awesome around this. But, um, but you know, that's all fine and dandy unless mm-hmm. uh, unless you can't find a place to store it. Right, right. So those are those are you know harsh realities around this. Where people come in like, hey, can we leave space? Hey, are there any more of these? I'm like, you know, first thing you want to figure out is where the hell you're going to put it. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I I kind of lucked out in that regard. Well, let can, can they be moved? Yeah. Without an engine, I mean, is there another way? Because they got to be. I can't imagine how many tons they are. They but... can be. Okay. Yeah. With and it's what? not it's not that prohibitive actually to um, throw them on these massive you know trailers oh, right. and haul them. Mm. That's true. Uh, the other thing I thought of long term is I'm kind of pitching my wife on this idea. Oh, you're going to love this. <laughs> is, you know, thinking back. That's where that wound came from. Right. <laughs> right. Um, thinking back, like, uh, truth be told, we used to watch Grey's Anatomy and that that one doctor had that sweet old Airstream on this hillside overlooking, right. you know, massive views. And I've always thought, how rad would that be to get, you know, some land and whether you had track down or not, but even just using these as, you know, just Insta, Insta cabin mm-hmm. and then pimping those out for, for that kind of use, that'd be great. You know, so I've got a lot of delusions about what life after office space looks like for these things. Well, how prevalent are these uh, in terms of up for sale? Are are the real cars all over the place? And if so, how much are they costing just for listeners who might be wanting to pump down? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ozark, uh, I think it's Ozark Mountain Rail Cars or something, is the go-to for um, mm. buying and selling uh, rail cars. And they've got all shapes and sizes and, you know, cabooses and um, old, you know, multiple, like, I don't know, they've 10 or 15 that are all this of the same vintage and, and whatnot that, that buy and sell. But the challenge with those is, you know, what's your intended use? Are you going right. to park it in the backyard on tracks you drop down? Are you going to haul it behind Amtrak? You know, do you have um, some need for them, uh, you know, to actually put them back into use? So there is a, there is a subculture of people that are really fanatical about it. And even with just with ours, which are Milwaukee road rail cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we get these old engineers that come in all the time, like they own the place and they're just dropping all this knowledge. We love it. You know? what, is, what is what is the significance of Milwaukee Road rail cars? What is that? They just were a very popular rail car uh, in terms of their construction and like the, the square windows with the rounded corners. They're just very... Um, iconic. unique. Yeah. Iconic. And they're, they're unique cause they're not, they never ran here in the Northwest. They were much more of a Midwest, um, you know, type of a rail car. So we even had a guy out of the blue a couple of years ago, who's a, it's just this engineer and, and railroad freak. And he's just like, 
boom, here's who, you know, here's when they were made. Here are their serial numbers. Here are photos of them in use back in the 1960s. Uh, total we're just out. like, we love you, man. What else? <laughs> what about this? What about that? And, and actually when I bought them, like, can you help me, you know, how would I, how would I price these? And, and so he got, you know, he was very helpful in me presenting, uh, you know, some numbers and negotiating the purchase of them. Right um, but yeah, I used, I used that website as a, as a place to go. And, you know, the big thing is, okay, so you got these rail cars and they're sitting on some spur track and there's no way of getting them out. Well, all of a sudden the, the value of them went down because you got to figure out how to haul them somewhere to right. you know, do something with them. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh it's uh, a unique consideration. So understanding you're not an expert on all this, how much would it generally cost do you think to get one of these is your was your hundred thousand dollars for three i think you said was that is was that a good deal or you know based upon what this gentleman uh the the guy that's you know totally obsessed with rail cars he thought that was a little bit pricey oh um, on the other hand, I didn't have to move them anywhere. You know, I already had um, lease and a lot of those other considerations taken care of. So I feel good about it, and I think it's also a relative thing because if I had gone out and got similar office space, I would have been paying probably forty percent more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I feel good about it, and again, it's a relative thing. And I think if you live in a town or a city that has extra rail yard space, and you can you know negotiate a track uh, and get you know the lease, um, it's you know, it's a pretty fun place to, to go to. Every so day. you think they're like 30 grand, 50 grand? It all depends on their their condition. Because if like the an example of the something that could be hauled by Amtrak, it's going to be well over 100 grand. Some oh. of those are 350,000. Oh, like a real marathon coach. Oh, yeah. There's one in here for 265K that looks on sharp on Ozark Mountain Rail Car. And there's one for 11,000. looks like a caboose a serial killer lives in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. It's all over yeah, the place. But the caboose, <laughs> wouldn't that be fun? I think I've, maybe I have my new project. Yeah. Maybe I have my next project. So w I, we love to do like weekend drive around the state and all the roads you've never been on before. Um, I mean, I can tell you of at least probably a half dozen diners and cafes that are actually in old rail cars around. And we oh, always yeah. we always try to stop and at least just have a cup of coffee and and experience the unique spaces and yeah yeah actually i went on a bike uh, bike tour in eastern oregon out of hepner and they used to have a lot of um rail out there for moving um livestock and and uh and i guess you know lots of the wheat and whatnot but then it was removed uh and so now you've got these cabooses that are just peppering backyards and museums in different areas. You're like, where's the rail? Like, it used to be here. You know, so those are some really fun relics that kind of suggest what, what used to be. Huh. Uh, so, yeah. so you dropped a couple of uh, elements indicating what your life is about. I want to ask you a couple questions about your personal life. So you sound like an avid outdoors person. You're repelling from buildings and riding I presume mountain bikes or road bikes. Yeah, that was road what, bikes. Yeah. What do you? What do you? What's? Your, what are you all about besides uh, your work? Yeah. So um, I've just got done with my twentieth year ski coaching. Um, mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to be introduced to that sport uh, at, a, at a young age, about seven, from my parents. Uh, they drug me out hiking trails in Astoria, and then we moved to Medford. Um, so the outdoors are a huge part of my life, and I've actually got a new side project that I've started in the last year called Dad Sherpa. And the notion behind that is a lot of my friends, you know, young fathers that used to be avid or or aspire to be outdoors more and introduce, introduce their kids asking me questions about it. And so I've mm -hmm. said, well, shoot, maybe there's an opportunity to talk more broadly about that to a larger audience. And that's kind of morphed. And right now what I'm trying to do is um, uh, identify uh, 
minority groups uh, that are are working with with communities of color that you just don't see on the trails. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I mentioned, I went to Outdoor Retailer um, before the show. I was talking to the, the group here that I went to Outdoor Retailer a couple weeks ago. Everyone's white. And and here it is, the centennial of the national parks, and Barack Obama's got the you know every fourth grader free in the national parks, which is awesome mm-hmm. if you can get there. <laughs> yeah. But if mom and dad are like, why am I going to national parks? Exactly. So I don't care. Yeah. Um, so so that's been a new way in which I feel like I can hopefully activate these communities, and as our society becomes less white. Um, that we can have more and more people caring about the outdoors and making it a priority. And when it comes to preserving these natural resources that we have and, um, and celebrating them and, and trying to introduce you know, all ages to them and all the benefits that come from it, uh, that's something I'm, I'm pretty passionate about and, awesome. and excited to you know, see where that might lead. When did you start that? That was essentially last, about a year ago now. And how's it going? It's going well. You know, a lot of it initially was, you know, doing gear reviews. So working with a lot of brands that I know and I'll, they'll send me equipment and I'll use it and, and, you know, do reviews. Um, a lot of it's like, Hey, top 10 suggestions, getting your kids into bicycling or, you know, here's a, a trail in Portland called the 4T Trail that links up trails, trolleys, trains, and and the tram. And, you know, how can you make that more family-friendly? Um, and then this whole notion of not only working with these with these minority communities and trying to get them outdoors. And, and it's not that I'm trying to start a new nonprofit. There already is a, a huge amount of momentum. Groups like Outdoor Afro and Latino Outdoors and a variety of others. Outdoor that, Afro, that's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Yeah. I got to see that logo. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, it's great. It's this, it's this gal with this awesome afro, and then it's got like a tree, you know, and a silhouette. It's cool. it's amazing. That's cool. And, and so these organizations already exist. There's already plenty of organizations in Portland doing really good things with these wow. communities. So it's more of like, do you know each other? Because you should. Yeah. This would be a big part. But also from a workforce development perspective and saying to brands, hey, can we bring this group through? Can you talk to them about what you're doing? Um, and what the the professional opportunities look like, so that you know these kids have ideas on um, this as a profession, not only as a, a personal pursuit. So yeah, that that's weaved heavily, and I think that's a big thing that's kept me in the, this business as long as it as it has is the ability to work with these folks in the outdoors, with these outfitters, you know, with these uh, brands that are making products, with you know resorts and other things that um, just really feed my soul when I'm not trying to make a buck so you're not a glamper um i i kind of am because my wife is not no longer hip to sleeping on an air mattress okay, okay. Uh, so i'm actually taking my two daughters backpacking with some friends uh, next weekend while she's doing hood to coast and i'm really excited to do that and they're very excited and my wife i think is equally excited because she's not being forced to go with us uh, so yeah as much as i'd like to to be dirtier uh, more often those are, are they're not always trips that i guess include my wife and Sometimes, yeah, going hut skiing in the Wallowas, things like that don't right. really appeal to her. Okay. Right. And and for the listeners, Hood to Coast is? Yeah, it's just a massive relay that starts at Timberline Lodge. It's 198 miles. Actually, I think it's over 200 this year because of the because of all the homeless problems on the Springwater Corridor. They have to reroute the course for safety. Oh, wow. So you might be breaking 200 miles, but wow. it's like the largest relay run in the world. And mm. I don't know if you've seen, is it, what's his first name? Uh, Hart? Chris Hart? Uh, he's a, a comedian mm. that, but he's, he's doing work with Nike to try and get more, again, the, you know, black community out in, in doing physical fitness. And he has this bit right now going around the internet that is fucking hilarious talking about his perception of what hood to coast is and what it is oh, in reality. Really? Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's awesome. Let's awesome. check that out. Yeah. 
I'll actually, I, I can actually, yeah, I'll have to find that and then send it that to the Hood to Coast team that actually my employer sponsors. Um, the only, my only uh, reference point to Hood to Coast is don't try to rent a van this oh, weekend. <laughs> yeah, right. Thousands. Yeah. yeah. No. This is a good time to own a van. It is exactly. a good time to own a van. Yeah. That, I learned that, and I don't know why. It was a few years ago I tried to find a van. Um, again, for people that don't know, um, the Hood to Coast route is actually restricted to only team vans during the period of time that hmm. that, that section of the road is actually um being raced on it it's it's a crazy complicated but amazing amazing event yeah. every year yeah. i say i'm going to volunteer at the beer garden because right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't want to be standing in the you, middle of a road somewhere halfway exactly. up the mountain unless you saw it last year like yeah last year yeah last hurricane, year it was gale force like. they had to tear down the beer garden they were like wow. yay you're here now go take, take cover, cover. <laughs> exactly. there was no beer garden yeah. ripped down. down the tents yeah it was oh yeah it was it was really really wow. crazy but uh, but usually it's yeah at the other end it's a massive party and yeah. you know two beers and you're just housed and you know <laughs> you've suffered with friends you haven't hardly slept at all and she loves it she's got a really competitive team and and so that's great. She goes off and does that, and we support her from the mountains. I ran the Hood to Coast many years ago. Really? Yeah, with the Oregonian team. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, super, Never super fun. Never want to do it again after yeah. that, though. Yeah. Really? One time only. One time only. <laughs> I've gotten into trail running, and I guess by you know extension running, and people are like, oh, you should do this. I'm like, that's my wife's jam, and <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to do that. So. Exactly, exactly. Well, cool. Um, what else do we want to ask? Um one question is, so you had, you know, five or six years, it sounded like, of your staff working independently mm. and then kind of bottom, brought them together. How did they How did they kind of take the railroad car thing at first? Did they like, oh, this is awesome, or oh, my God, what are we thinking of? Probably a little bit of both. Um, and in the way it works is our developers all work remote. Uh, that was something where that's how it started. It was an inexpensive way to go, and they were young fathers, so, you know, juggling um, family and, and work. And I think that's been a big part of our culture is, is honoring work-life balance. And so it was really more of our client-facing uh, staff, so director mm -hmm. of strategy, project managers, account manager, myself, um, so and interns. And so right now, half of our staff works in the rail cars and half outside. And I think when we went, moved into the rail cars, it was new and fresh. And and uh, myself and our and sort of uh, this other gentleman, Fritz, who's now running that other company, Brand Live, we were both like, "This is awesome!" You know, like how fun and unique, and just embracing it all. You know, with the composting to toilet, that was always some of those things, like, especially when the you know, female guest showed up, like, oh, yeah. I have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh, you do? Are you sure? Uh, There's a 7-Eleven right over there. Yeah, yeah, the coffee shop. May I introduce you? Um, and so we actually got a, you know, a honey bucket outside as a little oh, bit of a stopgap. It, it is. doesn't require oh, yeah. a laminated instruction sheet to go to the bathroom. Yeah, it, not ideal. So when we got this flusher, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're big time. We got the we're going to have a bunch of females that want to work here. It's going to be great. And and it is it is nice when clients ask, and I can say, yes, right back here is your flushing toilet. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think for the most part, the group embraced it and, and you know, liked it. There are certainly some of the issues that we dealt with over time that you could see, ah, they're not loving that. And, you know, but that happens. I, I've seen it in so many other office spaces. Oh, the toilet's backed up. Oh, this, you know, a leak or the AC's broken. That stuff happens. And so just trying to manage expectations, keep it fun. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Our, our toilet here runs steaming hot water. <laughs> and the weekends, <laughs> the water that comes out of this toilet in the weekends here at Nets Base, it's so hot. You're 
crotch sweats. Oh wow! The whole the steamer. whole bathroom warms up in there. It's mm-hmm. like a sauna in there because the the system's kind of broken, so they pipe hot water through our toilets. A little backwards, and more it's than weird. anybody needed to know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and once that, again, yeah, good point. Yeah. and once again, we have proven the myth to be true. You cannot have a tiny house conversation <laughs> without talking about toilets. Exactly. We started there. We did start there. Yeah. Oh, that's true. We did. Yeah. In yeah. my toilet, actually. That's I feel right. so privileged. Mm-hmm. The one you can't get a swirly in. I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is true. But but people are actually quite surprised when they when they have to use it for the first time and it doesn't smell mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, no, it's not a five-gallon Home Depot bucket with a box built around right. it and a seat it's on It's kind of like that. <laughs> it's a little more For the money I paid for <laughs> right. it, let me tell you. Yeah, they're not cheap. No, they're no. not cheap. No, they're no, not cheap. I paid over, well, it would have paid had mine not been sponsored, but my toilet is over a thousand bucks. Wow. But uh, pretty high tech, pretty yeah. high tech, so... Well, Ben, thank you so much for being with us today. This was great getting to know you. And yeah, um, it'd be awesome maybe to come by and take a tour of your anytime. Office. Really? I know this is more audio based, but no, you guys yeah. are anytime welcome. Love to have you. I've got the the uh, cold beer and shot ski standing by. So very nice. What's a shot ski? That's a, a ski with uh, shot glasses mounted to the top <laughs> so that, you know, friends that drink together stay together. So okay. <laughs> that's always fun to celebrate with. That sounds like it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that would be horrible. I can't imagine. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah it was a pleasure. Awesome. Good time. And, good time. And uh, listeners, next week we're going to be speaking with the person we promised we'd be speaking with um, a couple weeks back, which is Frida Baker. Nice. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we finally got finally her, got her back. Scheduled. Yeah, back in the schedule. Yay. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Have we, have we been back from the no, jamboree? No, this is our first. It show. is, isn't it? We Good grief! Got, yeah. We didn't even mention anything about it. I guess next week we'll. That's be back. because we're all still recovering. I think, right? I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, we're all still recovering. Yeah. Maybe next week we'll talk about uh, your memories yeah. from mm-hmm. the tiny house, from the tiny house jamboree. From the jamboree, all right, awesome. from all eighty thousand people. <laughs> Boom! It was crazy. Was it eighty thousand? I heard it was sixty. Okay, 60. okay. a little. Okay. Well, so this between, was in California. It was, it was in actually Colorado. in Colorado That's Springs. What I thought, yeah, yeah I saw just... Zach the day before at that trade show. Oh, oh okay. and he was telling me I was going to go out and speak as a keynote. And uh, yeah, awesome. Sounds like something I got to check out. It was an awesome. If you like tiny houses, you yeah. got to go. My family to, is yeah. obsessed with his show. And so I think that'll be a destination vacation for oh, the yeah. kiddos before they get too That'd old. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah so family. it's the first weekend in August every year. Um, they're actually scouting the new location for next year already. So that's cool. Hmm. Um, the attendance did exceed. All we've heard so far is that it exceeded 20,000 per day. So we know oh, for wow. sure that it was 60. Okay. Uh, we don't know how close to 70 or 80 it might have been, but definitely exceeded their uh, their uh, benchmark of 20,000 per cool. day. So pretty awesome. Perfect. Awesome indeed. And a great ending to this show. See you next week. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>